So we are now returned to public session. Announcement from closed session. Number one, superintendent evaluation. <clears throat> Pursuant to the district's, district's uh, policy 2435, the board is to report out whether the annual evaluation of the superintendent president is satisfactory or unsatisfactory. No other rating level is provided in the, in the public announcements, and no comment is to be made regarding the details of the evaluation. Consistent with this process, I am advising, I am advising the board has conducted the president's annual evaluation and found his performance to be satisfactory. The board also thanks the superintendent present for his continued service and leadership. I think uh, attorney's handwriting is second only to a doctor's. <laughs> and we've hired some new people here. Um, Lisa Nussdorfer, the a, math, a mathematics instructor. Jovita de la Cruz, Child Care Food Program Assistant. Yasmin Lopez, Child Development Center Assistant. Maria de Jesus Quevedo, Child Development Center Assistant. Catherine Rhino, Credit Program Technician. And Cindy Miller, Secretary 3 in Health Ops. Um, regarding the Menlo property, the, we only got one bid and was an unsatisfactory bid from the Unified School District, so that property is going out to public bid now. And uh, we've that is all from closed session. Oh, that's right. Pardon me. I've got a... We do. <clears throat> One last thing: that not really negotiations with administration because they are are not uh, represented, but it is the meetings with the administration staff. The district meets and confers with the administrative senate on items related to compensation and working conditions for administrative and confidential employees. The Administrative Confidential Group of Employees has not received any salary increase for eight years. The District and Administrative Senate came to a three-year compensation agreement as follows. For 2015 and 2016, the Administrative Confidential Salary Schedule shall be increased by 3% at all ranges and steps retroactive to July 1, 2015. Longevity increments are being renamed from steps GNH to longevity increments L1 and L2, and the percent increase from L1 to L2 shall increase from 2.5% to 5%, retroactive to July 1, 2015. This increase will go into effect on September on the September 2015 pay warrant. For 2016 and 2017, the administrative confidential salary schedule shall be adjusted to reflect a 5% increase between each step at each range. 
in preparation for a classification compensation study to be conducted in 2017-2018, the district and administrative center Senate will work collaboratively to gather data and determine the scope of the study. In 2017 and 2018, a classification compensation study will be conducted. Recommendations from the study will require additional consultation with regard to implementation and timelines. Nothing in this agreement precludes additional discussion related to compensation and or benefits for this three-year period. Gabriel, would you like to lead the Pledge of Allegiance? Okay. Kyle, would you like to lead the Pledge of Allegiance? 4.3 Adoption of the Agenda. Um, one thing uh, we'd like to do is table the minutes. They're not available at this time. The minutes from the August 13th meeting. And we're also pulling item 1.4, the first reading of uh, revised policy BP 5010. Other than that, do I have a motion for the agenda? So moved. All in favor say aye. Yeah. Aye. aye. Hearing no opposition, so be the order. Public hearing for the... 2015-2016 final budget for Napa Valley Community College District. This hearing is held to allow for public comment on the proposed budget as required by California Title V Administrative Regulations, Section 58-300. The proposed 2015-16 final budget was noticed for public inspection beginning September 1, 2015. The proposed budget is available for public inspection in the Administration Services Office Room 1542 building 1500 during normal business hours. <laughs> and uh, is there anyone wishing to speak on the budget? These cards are not for the budget. Anyone wishing to speak under public comment about the budget? Is there going to be a presentation or is it just an opportunity to comment? Uh, it's an opportunity to comment. But um, See anyone in the public speaking? Do you want to speak on the? This this item is um, just the public hearing. Yeah. Um, and then we have a second agenda item that is for internal discussion of the budget. Okay. So. Um, so you can open the hearing, close the hearing, and move on. Okay. So, public hearing is open. Seeing no comment, public hearing is closed. Six point zero approval of financial documents. Six point one. 2015-16 adoption. Budget for Napa Valley Community College District. It's recommended that the Board of Trustees adopt the 2015-16 adoption budget as presented. The complete 2015-16 adoption budget document will be distributed to trustees, budget center managers, and constituent group presidents on approximately 9-11-2015. The proposed 2015-16 adoption budget was presented at a campus forum on August 27, 2015. The budget was developed through budget committee review and is scheduled for consideration and recommendation to the president at the September 4, 
2015 budget committee meeting. Julie. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dr. Julie Hall, and I'm the co-chair of the budget committee, and I'd like to introduce you to my other presenters with me today. We have Glenna Aguada, our controller. We have Dr. Terry Juni over here, our vice president of instruction. And we have Dr. Janine Hawk, our interim vice president for administrative services. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about is to look a little bit about our budget process here at Napa Valley College. And basically, our budget process is informed by planning and other decision supports, such as budget principles and values. And if you can see up there on the listing there, what happens is the budget committee, we develop a budget timeline with assumptions, and then we review the annual plans and the budgets. We identify available resources, and all that then gets forwarded on to the president's office. But one of the most important parts of this is the assessment loop there, if you see that up there. The process ensures that this loop is used to monitor our resources and to make sure that we're effectively impacting the development, maintenance, allocation, reallocation, and enhancement of our programs and services. The district's budget development values require the budget not be in a deficit spending situation. Therefore, the budget committee values bringing to the Board of Trustees a balanced budget and one that is also structurally sound. This year's adoption budget is balanced. However, it is challenged in many areas. So um, I'm going to leave the challenging aspects to Terry, Janine, and Glenna, and they'll speak to these at this time. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Julie. Um, so we're going to give you a little bit of an update on enrollment, since enrollment is what we're all about and certainly drives an important part of our revenue side of the budget. So I'm going to ask Dr. Janine to talk on this element. So the slide that you see actually is just looking at fall, um, a five-year history of fall enrollments ending with fall 15. Uh, and so this is the, the, the numerical presentation of it. The next slide actually shows it in a, in a graph that will make, probably make the point a little clearer. Um, what you should look at really is comparing the fall semesters, fall 11 through fall 15, and then look at the fill rates, which is in the middle, um, and you'll see quite a decline has been happening uh, most noticeably in fall 14 and then in fall 15. So we've gone from a 98.9% fill rate in fall 11 uh, to around a 78, 79% this semester. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more later about what are probably some of the causes of that. Um, the, the outcome of that is looking at FTS that are generated, which is the next column over, you'll see that those numbers have also been um, decreasing. The second to the last column shows a percentage of how that fall has happened. And so the most dramatic, obviously, is fall 15, where we're at about 88% of what we were last fall. Um, th this is significant from a, a um, basically income perspective. Um, and I'm... What button am I hitting to? Um, so if I can just add to what Terry's saying on this particular slide. So one of the impacts we have on the expenditure side of the house is you'll see as um, in that second column number of sections. You can see the number of sections have been increasing at the same time our enrollments and our fill rate have been declining. And so that's obviously impacting um, the expenditure side of the equation, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in, in a few slides. And just probably to remind uh, the board um, that it, last year that, that was somewhat purposeful in that we were chasing FTS to try to meet, reach our base and our um, uh, restoration numbers, and we were successful at that. 
Um, but part of that, uh, obviously, then costs because we were offering lower enrolled classes than we might normally do. So this this is not giving you any new information. It's just helping you visualize the the effect of the the decrease that we're seeing in enrollments over the last five years. And so you can see that there was a a significant drop from fall eleven to fall twelve um, in FTS generated, and then we kind of steadied out over the, those next three years. And then fall fifteen, we've taken a fairly significant drop. One of the things we've talked about before is the balance between the campus and Upper Valley, Upper Valley Campus as a center and the funding differentials between those two and the FTE. Um, so you can see one of the issues we had last year we spoke about is we had fall, um, fallen under the threshold for a medium center and um, was actually receiving at the beginning of last year funding for a small center uh, because we had fallen below the 480 um, mark. Um, so you can see now we've we've stabilized and, and grown back um, over and above that threshold for fourteen fifteen, and we anticipate hopefully staying at that level for fifteen sixteen. Although um, we we may not get there um, given the reduction in some of our um, non credit. Um, most of the Upper Valley Campus FTS at this time is non credit. It's instructional contracts non credit. Um, although Michelle uh, Mano is certainly um, trying to do some creative um, offerings up there to, to change that um, at this time, the majority of it is non-credit and some new online education as well. So, um, so we're you know I think there's opportunity there, um, but certainly something we have to keep an eye on. The next level is a kind of a, a large center. Um, and to get to that level, we'd have to add about another 300 FTS. So it's quite a jump. Um, and at one time, the, the Up Valley campus was at that level, um, again, primarily fueled by uh, non-credit and primarily DSPS non-credit um, that, was, that was contract. So um, we're kind of in rebuilding mode at this point, but at least we've steadied um, at that medium center level. So this this slide is um, basically giving you estimates of what we project enrollments to be uh, for the rest of this year. Um, as you remember, in doing our funding exercise with the state, we submit a 320 report in the summer, um, and that will uh, basically what we're predicting here are what those we're hoping those numbers will be but but there's a lot of guesstimates in this chart and so I'm going to take a little bit of time going through that um, obviously the late summer 15 um, the, the, those are in the books and so you know that's what we have achieved so far this is broken down in credit non-credit and total um, and so there there is from from late summer on so fall spring and early summer there, there is both some numbers that we are sure of because we've passed census for fall, um, but there's also some unknowns because there's positive attendance numbers in the credit. All of the non-credit is positive attendance, and we don't have actual numbers from those until the semester that those positive attendance courses are occurring has ended, and we were actually submitting the hours at that point. And so, so in the fall 15 credit number, um, there's some uh, unknown positive attendance that, that we're making a guess on, and I'll talk a little bit about that. And then also for the non-credit, that's also true. The non-credit numbers are probably more certain. Um, um, uh, the Upper Valley Campus has put in a fairly good tracking system for those hours, and so they're actually collecting those hours regularly. 
Um, and, and so those estimates are always adjusted during the semester, but, but they're pretty solid. Um, and have a, and, and are, so that prediction is probably a good prediction for what we'll get for fall 15. Um, spring 16, all of the numbers there, and early summer 16, all of the numbers there are based on if we uh, earn the same number of FTES that we did in spring 15 and early summer 15. Um, and, and so, you know, at this point, we, I can't give you anything other than that. Um, we're obviously building the spring schedule right now, and we'll have some estimates based on that schedule we build. But at this point, what I'm showing you is just assuming we could do the same thing we did last year. An important point I need to say about that, as I said earlier, last year we were chasing FTS. We were trying to reach restoration with the intent that if we reached restoration, we would generate approximately $900,000 more in income last year. And that would also continue as we move forward because that, those numbers would be added to our base. We did achieve that, but it cost over a million dollars to achieve that, and we overspent our 1310 budget, which is the budget that pays for part-time instructors and full-time faculty overload. Um, it is our intent this year not to overspend that budget. And so it's probably not, or it's going to be difficult for me to achieve the numbers in spring 16 and summer 16 without overspending that budget. That all being said, the key point of this is because of the low enrollments that we're seeing in fall 15, our projections here are 250 FTS short of base and about 340 FTS short of base plus growth. Growth for this year is a small number. It's 85, a little over 85. And as Janine's going to tell you in a little bit, we're not actually putting the money from that growth into the budget because we believe it will be difficult to achieve. Are we taking questions during or after? What, what's the? I'm 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 fine if we do it during. It's it's probably easier because the slide will be there that you have a question about. So. Uh, well, my question goes to the credit non-credit. I mean, obviously, you know, non-credit is, as Janine mentioned, uh, it when you cut that back, it cost. When we cut that back, it cost us at the Upper Valley, you know, campus in terms of size. Now we're still down total credit, and I know non-credit pays only half of what credit pays, but why wouldn't we? Uh, so, so, that, so that's a really good question, and I'm going to ask if it's okay if we defer that to the end because I actually have a slide that answers that question. You want to just go to it? I know this looks like wakes you up or not. Okay, so in anticipation of that question, I put together this worksheet. It's complicated. Apologize for that, but I'll walk you through it. So in the top, um, the top part of the chart, it's showing 2015-16 base allocations. So now I'm ahead of what you were going to see in a later slide. It's showing you the breakdown of what we're, what we're basically budgeting for in credit FTS, non-credit FTS, enhanced non-credit FTS, and then the total. And then it gives you, um, in the dollar per FTS, the amount of money that the state um, a, a allocates to us based on the FTS that we earn. And so what you can see is that credit pays $46.76 per FTS. 
Um, non-credit pays 2812. Uh, so as Joanne mentioned, not quite it, a little bit better than half, but but uh, clearly a significant decrease in apportionment. Um, this year, for the first time, the state is uh, has increased the apportionment for enhanced non-credit so that it now equals credit. So that's also 4676. The unfortunate thing for Napa Valley College is that we currently do not generate a lot of um, enhanced non-credit FTS. That's something that we're working on, and through the Career Pathway Grants and AB 86, um, there will be more enhanced non-credit that's developed. But we're probably not going to benefit from that this year. That's something that we'll see next year. In, enhanced non-credit, it's also called CDCP. That's actually the, um, the, the official name. Um, and so it, it, it's basically career development and, and transfer development. So their courses, they have to be programmed. So it has to be a sequence of courses that either leads to work or a sequence of courses that helps students move into being transfer ready. So our current enhanced non-credit are our non-credit ESL courses. Those, are, those lead students into credit level courses. And so we have to, we, we are working right now on developing more in the career development that will come out of all of the work that's happening in the career pathway grants that the college has recently been part of. So that, that shows you the total dollar amount that we'll earn from apportionment if we reach those FTS values. And so then what I've done is I've shown you three examples. If we're short reaching base by 100 FTS, 250 FTS, or 350 FTS, and the 250 and the 350, I chose those numbers because I just showed you we were short base by about 250 and short of base plus growth by about 350. If we shifted those numbers, 100, 250, or 350, from credit apportionment to non-credit apportionment, this shows you the benefit and or the detriment to the district. And so the, the top set of tables basically just does that rearrangement. So instead of 5172 uh, credit FTS, the next one shows 5072, the next one shows 4922, the next one shows 4822. So I'm just subtracting that 100, 250, or 350 from that number. I'm then adding that number to the non-credit. So that goes up by 100 by 250 and 350, and then it's doing the math for you on the amount of apportionment that we'll get. The key is to focus on the red numbers at the bottom of each of those. And so if we do 100, we will receive $186,000 less from the state for our apportionment. If we do 250, we will uh, receive 466000 less. And if we do 350, we'll receive 652000 less. So maybe that's okay. The problem is, is that if we did that all with non-credit, not non-credit directed at the DSPNS population, then that's the, the consequences of that. But if we shift that to non-credit that serves the DSPS population, and most of that, what Napa Valley College has done, 88% of our, our, of our non-credit last year was through contracts through NVSS and PSI. And so I'm, I then do further analysis that shows you tables of the consequences of that. And so the increased cost directed at DSPNS, that, that's not money out of the general fund. What that is is saying we have to shift certain parts of salaries, certain parts of technology, different aspects of the budget by those dollar amounts directed at our DSPNS population. 
Um, so the, the DSPNS population clearly will be, would benefit from that, but, but it's also at the expense of, of the rest of the population. And so, so in that case, that's 196, 492, and 688. Basically, that number is 70% of the, um, the apportionment that we would have received from the state if we received it serving DSPNS students because we're required to, to do that, basically. Then the next um, row is cost of the contracts. We pay, we pay NVSS and PSI $1.75 for each hour that they generate by teaching our classes. And so that's just converting the number of FTS to a dollar amount. And then the total additional cost basically is adding those two numbers. The, the, the one that's the most important probably for you to look at is the overall decrease directed at unrestricted district needs, which is basically taking the total additional cost and adding to that the negative number in red above. And so that's basically the loss to the general fund that would occur if we shifted 100, 250, or 350 FTS from credit to non-credit. Does that answer your question, or can I? Yeah, no, it, it uh, uh, you know, I, I understand, I understand all of it. Uh, I guess, you know, it's the issue of the, if DSPS generates it, then so much, you, know, you you said the general fund, the general fund doesn't benefit as much as. Uh, and, and, and I think, I think one thing that I should say, Joanne, uh, I mean, in the beginning, we, we are basically planning on earning approximately 500 non-credit FTS. Um, and, and so that a, a initial budget of 1516 is not, not a significant cut to what we're doing right now in DSPNS. Um, th this is just showing if we were trying to make base by making it up in non-credit what, what the outcome would be. No, I, I appreciate the detail of that. Thank you. Um, yeah, Doc, Dr. Juni, I had a question. Um, sure. I understood what Napa Valley Support Services, the acronym, yes. but sorry, what's PSI? Product Services and Industries. It's a workshop as well uh, for disabled adults uh, located on the east end of the state hospital. All right. Thank you. So just quickly, as Dr. Juni said, our base is 5651 FTS for this year. Our opportunity for growth is 85 or $386,000. This is not included in the adoption budget, given at this point we're struggling to get the base. It doesn't seem realistic for us at this point in time to build uh, growth revenue into the budget. If NVC does not generate base, what happens? Well, we go into something called stability, and based on Senate Bill 361, which is defines how community colleges get paid, um, decreases in FTS result in following year reduction. So nothing's going to happen to our revenue for 1516. That's why we're still budgeting fully uh, receiving revenue for this year for base. However, um, we will start to see reductions in subsequent years, starting next year if we don't get back to base. We have three years in which to restore that base and be held harmless. After that three-year period, the opportunity to restore goes away, and then we get back into the cycle of whenever growth or restoration is available statewide, then we can earn it back. But we do have a three-year window during which we can do that. But again, no revenue impact for this year. So in terms of state apportionment, um, you know, you saw some of this from Terry's slide. Also included is an inflation adjustment, a COLA of 1%. Stability restoration last year um, that we earned, 
nothing for this year. Um, we've now fully restored to previous um, levels, meaning that um, all of the workload reduction that we faced during the down periods of time have now been fully restored. Um, at least our ability to fully restore them has now passed and or we've earned them. Um, that's not true of all districts, by the way. Some districts are still working on some restoration, but our ability to restore has now been completed um, and passed. Um, so you can see the rest restoration of 1112 workload, the 743, that was what we earned last year, and that's what that big push was for, was to earn that back, because that was a, a earn it or, or lose it proposition. Um, we've also received this year a mandated cost block grant of $158,000. This is one time. So if you go to that last column for 1617, obviously the credit FTS number is at risk if we do not make base. Um, and so based on Terry's figures, you can see we could see a potential reduction um, of about $600,000 if we don't reach base. Um, in addition to that, um, we don't know if there'll be an inflation adjustment next year. There's no ability to restore at this point, and we're not anticipating growth. Um, and the mandated cost block grant, um, basically if there's been extra money in the state coffer, the, the governor's been throwing that at us in, turn, in, in the framework of these um, mandated cost block grants. But these have now been fully funded conceptually uh, at the state level, and so... It's not anticipated. We'll see any more of that. Um, if there is additional money at the state level, chances are it'll go into the rainy day fund, given what the economy is starting to hint at, um, But because that's been the governor's kind of MO in terms of, um, you know, how he's trying to build that rainy day fund for a downturn. Um, so you can see that there's a lot of unknowns for 1617, but... <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll make some assumptions in a second. Um, one thing I do want to share is in terms of the mix on the revenue side, um, our, there's been a big shift this year between uh, property taxes and EPA funding. EPA funding being the Educational Protection Act, Prop 30, begins to sunset in December of 16, fully sunsets by the end of 2018. Um, the property tax, um, so the EPA funding is backfill for what we deserve based on the state funding formula. It's a function of how we get paid. It's not a function of what we earn. So if property taxes go up, then EPA funding goes down. If enrollment fees go up, property uh, EPA funding goes down. In 15-16, the uh, Chancellor's Office is anticipating a 13% increase in property tax AV, we think that's pretty aggressive. What we've seen out of the assessor's office here locally is only about a 6% on average increase. So we think they've overestimated it. But that being said, we've used their numbers um, to build this adopted budget. So you can see a big shift in property tax funding and EPA funding between 1415 and 1516. Doesn't change the bottom line necessarily. What it does impact though is as that EPA funding begins to sunset, the less EPA funding we're really getting, the less we'll, that will sunset. So we actually want that EPA funding to be smaller. Um, so we're rooting for property tax AV to really be as high as they anticipate at this point um, because that's local money we get to keep. It's not subject to um, uh, to the Prop 30 sunsetting. So any questions on that? I know it's a little, little crazy, but um, okay. So overall, you can see um, a, a shift there. Uh, it's also gone down year over year, um, so that's uh, another item to note. 
So um, other financing sources in terms of other inflows and outflows in revenue, we have other financing sources. Once again, as with 1415, we're moving $250,000 from DAS to the Unrestricted General Fund. Um, again, what's included in DAS, um, primarily non-scholarship donations, the cafe bookstore, um, indirect cost allocations from all uh, from most district grants and other non-operating profit centers. Um, estimated available fund balance is 109. Um, the unrestricted fund balance at the end of 1415, um, based on Glenna's current estimates, is about $13,000. So, um, if we wanted to, we could increase that by about by about $13,000. That 250. But other than that, there's not any more than that that's unrestricted to be able to move over at this time. So, Julie, were you going to? Um Talk about this. Yes, the um, other outflows include the Child De Development Center, CDC. We have about 125 children there, and it acts like a working lab. So basically, um, both Glenna and Daryl Whitaker, who's the CDC director, have been working very closely to keep those costs down. So as you can see right now, out of the general fund, if you take the differences up there, it's about... Um, 53500 will need to be funded out of the general fund for 2015-16, okay? The OPEB up there, um, that will be approximately about $59,000 higher. And the reason that is is there's been a change in the actual, very, very I can't say that word, actual aerial variation since 2013. And if you need any more details on that, Janine has the detail on that. So we've been talking about this quite a bit, and the board put together a 10-year plan. The original 10-year plan was based on the original um, actuarial. We've since had another actuarial, and we have another one in process now. We have to do them every two years. Um, we've been reducing the amount uh, in 1415 and in 1516. Um, uh, you'll see in a second, that we're moving over based on that plan. That's the bad news. But the good news is, based on what the plan anticipated as a total being moved over at this point in time, we've actually exceeded that by about $50,000. So in, in, that, in that way, we're okay. Um, so we're kind of on plan. We're just not on plan in the way we anticipated because we had front-loaded um, the contributions based on the original actuarial and the liability was actually reduced as the benefit was reduced um, and reflected in the second actuarial. Any questions on that? Nope. Okay. You guys are looking bored. I'll talk faster. Um, <laughs> general fund ending fund balance. Um, so our ending fund balance for this year undesignated after meeting our statutory reserve, $616,000. Um, that's not a lot. That's 1.67% over and above our 5%. Um, you can see, once again, we have an excess of current year income over current year expenditures, meaning um, while we have a balanced budget, we don't have a structurally balanced budget. We are still spending more than we bring in every year, which means we're spending our reserves for operations. If you look at the beginning fund balance, you can see it's you know declining, and that's a problem. Why is it a problem? Well, let's look at next year, the estimate 1617. Our beginning fund balance is 616, um, again, aside from our, our reserve. Um, if you look at total income, and remember, total income I said was going to go down next year if we didn't, you know, because of a number of factors. But I've been very generous and said, well, let's just assume it stays the same. 
let's assume that unrestricted expenditures only go up by contractual amounts. We know that's probably not the case either. We know we have increasing costs, et cetera. Um, all that being said, we're already just at that point in the negative. So that's a problem. Um, so even if we reduce our OPEB contribution, um, this does not, the only thing this includes is increases for PERS because we had the PERS reserved for 1617 set aside. So that increase in cost on expenditures is just the increase in PERS. Um, you can see there's no PERS set aside left over for next year, um, and we have about $1.5 million in increases in the subsequent two years. All that being said, um, you can see we don't make our statutory reserve next year, um, and we certainly have a larger excess of current year expenditures over current year income. So if you remember when I spoke to you at this time last year, I said we had about two years' worth of fund balance to, to move through, and um, we're, we've just moved through it. <laughs> and so um, we definitely will need to you know, take a different tack um, moving forward, and we'll talk about that a bit. So as I indicated, Perster's estimated rate escalation, um, we saw this before, about $1.7 million over the next three years. We've set aside the 296 for 1617, and we still need to um, figure out how we're going to come up with the balance for the following two years. And remember, those increases in the revenue side from the governor were specifically for this purpose. We didn't set them aside for this purpose. We're using them for operations. So next steps. Um, the Budget Committee will start to think about additional cost-cutting opportunities for 15-16. We have our accreditation visit September 28th, and obviously, you know, this may influence, this financial picture may influence that discussion. We'll know what our first quarter looks like early November. I think, you know, we're going to have to come up with an institutional strategic focus at this point around enrollment management, um, you know, given the numbers that Terry spoke about around revenue generation and preservation, around conscious spending and saving. And how do we do this? Um, well, we, we best do it from my perspective through planning, um, functional process analysis, how are we doing business, a dialogue, and then transitioning to what MVC looks like for the future. So at that time, at this time, I'll take any additional questions you may have. And if there's no questions, uh, we have an action item. So I have a question, Janine. Back on, on the, the funds that are transferred to the DOS committee, the um, the non-scholarship donations, cafe, bookstore, indirect cost allocations from grants, I don't know what's meant by other non-operating profit centers. I should have asked you that this morning. But can you tell me who, who or what group or did the board vote to move that? Because that money that came from those things prior to the formation of DOS was already in the general fund. So now it's being, when it comes in, it's allocated to DOS. Yeah. And then, then we, this seems like a, um, this is, is, is deceiving. It looks like DOS is giving the general fund money, but all of those things that are feeding into DOS used to already be in the general fund prior to 1314. I, I think at this point that's accurate. Is that true, Glenna? Uh, <laughs> okay. I, think, I think what we have to remember and, and understand is that, that that's exactly true. But this, it's meant as seed. We're trying to get DAS started and to 
to build up more and, and bring in other streams of revenue is the basic. So, I mean, it's like a, a new business that, that needs seed money. And, and yes, it's, it, it's, it looks like a, a shell game. I mean, I mean, although we're not, right. it's not a shell game. It's not a shell game. Delete that the controller the did not. The controller did not say shell game. Don't. That is not in the minutes. The, the controller did not say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought I said controller five times, but okay. Um, but yes. But but basically, that's really was the intention is to to build DAS and get it going. Bottom well, no. line. To. Go ahead. Uh, okay, yeah. I have more questions, but I'll save them. It's because DAS is outside of our control. We as an institution can't weigh in on how that money is spent. It's a foundation that has its own board, though. I mean, just like NBC Foundation. Correct. But it's it's outside of your control also. This, do I have to keep holding that? No. Okay. But it's a foundation that has its own board to manage money that prior to 1314 was in our general fund. And that board can take that money that is now in DAS and do whatever they want with it. That's my issue or question, or query, or concern? Probably a question that needs to be asked of the board. Of the DAS board? And where do we find out where, when DAS meets and who's on their board? Or is that on our website? Yes. Yes. Well, Thank you. Know, you. All that's, yeah, these are odd. Um, it's all public. There is a DAS website. The board is there and the meeting dates are there. And okay. there's some misunderstanding of what you're saying. It's, it's probably, it may be technically true. This board... Is, has complete control over DAS spending. They must approve these pieces in in, in this in this form. So uh, I I want to be clear and happy to meet with you to see you, uh, the best way to think of this is a accounting bucket right now. It it really is that that will allow us in the future then to do things that are do things that are more difficult or not necessarily in the mainstream of the um, academic side or the services side, like the bookstore or the cafe. We can't use faculty members to, to run that, and we don't want to use staff members to, you know, to do those things generally. So, Aren't, aren't they currently operating with college employees? Um, no, no and yes. Yes and no. So there are, there are some in, um, that aren't and some that are. So I, I do think it's a little confusing at this point, and I, just to add to what Ron's saying, the, this this board of trustees, the elected board of trustees, does not approve DAS expenditures. There's an independent DAS board that approves DAS expenditures. So I just wanted to make sure there's clarity around that. Okay. Thanks, Janine. That's what I had thought. So I had just... a question. Um, just when would it ever be advantageous to take money out of the general fund, though? Like, can you give me an example as to? Like, why would we want to take money out of our general fund? Into well, I mean, I think what Glenna was saying in terms of, you know, investing or seeding something, you know, I think if, um, you know, some districts carry a 20% reserve, you know, under those circumstances, it could be very legitimate to say, hey, we want to invest in this other thing, which we think will have a, a return on investment, so to speak. I think, you, so I don't know, Ron, if you want to add to that. Yeah, yeah it's a... It's a larger conversation and a good one. The, I, I would say normalizing the conversation a bit. Um, 52 of the community colleges in the, um, from the Bay Area um, down to, to um, L.A. have 
um, district auxiliary services organizations or something very similar. Um, they, they work really well where those activities are, at, again, that are outside classroom instruction or general support services. So they were intended and called out by the chancellor's office specifically for that. They created the way to do this so colleges could do exactly what we're doing, um, do food service. If we open our new cafeteria, my guess is that we may want to not do that with with um, public service employees, but contract with somebody. That's a possibility. And that would that would be through the DAS organization, Diana. So just as an example, but it's a it is a long conversation. I'm, I think we should probably um, come to the next meeting, and we can certainly you know talk about that. I'm, I'm wondering what changed from the tentative budget plan that we had a few months ago because I remember being really happy that we weren't going to be asked to approve a deficit budget, um, that the prior tentative budget, we weren't going to be spending more than we were bringing in. And so I'm just wondering what changed between the tentative budget and now. Good question. I, I did have a slide, and I don't know where it went, but Glenn is prepared to talk about that. In, in front of you, you also have a three-page um, summary of what specifically those changes are. And so she'll, she'll just briefly walk you through those. So you can... So you can see on your, um, it's actually the budget, the adoption budget, and on the right-hand side, you see some footnotes, some numbers there. And those, are, those are the major changes, yes. You see footnotes on the right-hand side? Okay. So that's I, I just identified the major um, differences. So we're going to go over the, the income part, and one and two go hand-in-hand hand together. And on the third page of this handout are the explanations, if you want to go over them as I go over them. Um, basically what happened in, with the income there is a shift. As Janine explained, our property taxes have increased, which have decreased the apportionment payment that we get. So what's happened is property taxes are local income, so the local income increased while the state income decreased about, about the same amount. Then the, the other difference, you'll see there's still a little bit of a difference, like about a million dollars. That's the EPA money that was decreased from tentative to um, to the adopted. Any questions on income? Okay. Number three, that is the faculty secretary. I mean, fac faculty salaries, the temporary. And basically, what we've we found out after we prepared the tentative was in tracking the fall the fall um, salaries. Uh, um, part-time adjunct, was increasing faster than we thought. So because of that, we have um, augmented that by about $1.3 million based on what we think might happen for this the whole year, the spring. Now, we don't have to spend it, but we're just trying to be prudent and, and follow what we've been doing. Yeah, so this is important. So this goes back to what I was talking about at the very beginning when I said make note that we're increasing the number of sections why our, why our enrollment is declining. Well, there's a cost associated with doing that. And again, we said last year we wanted to do that. Unfortunately, it, we spent more than we anticipated or wanted to spend. Um, so that was a problem last year. The problem for this year is we're actually spending more <laughs> than we did last year, and we're earning significantly less. So we haven't been able to ratchet down the cost 
um, in relationship to the enrollment. And so that's a problem. So we had to augment that budget by $1.3 million that we didn't anticipate in the tentative budget. So that's the, the biggest chunk of the increase and in, in the challenge. What would an example be of ratcheting down on... Uh, Janine, do you have... Uh, Terry, I'll Terry? let you respond. Uh, offering fewer sections. Or offering different sections, I think, is probably another alternative, because it's also fo based on capacity. Uh, um, it, it's, you know, how many people are in seats. Well, so. but, but to decrease the amount we spend, we would have to offer fewer sections. What, what Janine's referring to when she says different sections is that we, we do have some areas where we have wait lists and, and we have classes that are filled to capacity or above. We have other areas that are at 60%, 70% rate. They're, they're, those are the, and some lower than that, and those are the, the classes that are causing the college to have the overall fill rate that it is. So, so we could be shifting some of our offerings to under, areas that have more demand. Um, it's not as simple as me saying that, because um, in many of those areas, math and the sciences, for example, you need instructors and you need facilities. And, and so we can't necessarily just add them. Because we have students, we have to find instructors, which is sometimes difficult in math and chemistry. Um, and, and then you also you might need extra lab spaces. So, um, so it's not as simple as just doing that shift. Are most of those classes that are having the wait lists day classes or evening classes? And is it something that we could explore as far as using outside facilities off of our campus, like with Napa High or Vintage for evening courses? Yeah, we, so we, we can explore other sites. Um, we are trying to, well, we are partnering with our high schools and trying to increase the various offerings that we do there. Um, we, we've been trying to do more at the Upper Valley Campus, um, and, and Michelle's working really hard at developing packages of classes that would attract people there. So the idea of not just randomly offering classes, but putting together certificates, general ed certificates of things of that nature so that students can earn something by taking classes there and, and thus might continue to take classes there. And we're doing that both at the Upper Valley Campus and at the high schools. Um, looking at the time of offering is also an important one. And so you know, most of our classes are offered in the, in the morning hours, you know, from 8 to 12.30, I'll say. Um, uh, but, you know, I don't have a lot of real strong good data at this point. That's something I'll be working with the research office and with Chris on is, is looking at those various time offerings and what, what courses appear to work at those times. Um, uh, just, just doing a quick look without a strong data analysis is that even in areas where there is a strong need for classes, night classes don't work as well as daytime classes. And so, um, one would think that that would be a good way to go, but I think we have to spend a little bit of time in analyzing what are the classes that will actually work in those hours um, uh, before we just start doing it, because I don't want to shift classes that way um, if, they're, they're not, if, if students are not going to want to take them. And, and I think one other factor, and, and I won't make Dr. Juni say it, and I'll not look at my fac faculty colleagues when I say it, but release time also enters into this, um, you know, so when we have a full-time faculty member on release time, you know, in order to backfill that time, we have to hire an adjunct faculty member to do that. So, you know, what's the right size for us at this point in time? 
you know, I think that's analysis that the instructional office is undertaking as well. And so um, that's that can result in additional costs, not a million dollars of additional costs, don't get me wrong, but it, it does it, it's another factor that influences. I don't know if anyone has the number off the top of their head, maybe Chris does, but do we know what the percentages of students coming in from outside of Napa is versus from Napa and our feeder schools? I think Chris might have an idea of that. When you say outside, you mean uh, like Solano, Solano County? Solano. Solano is our biggest contributor. They're about 30% of our population, and Sonoma is down around 2%. I think we're about half of our population is Napa. Um, I have another question. Um, last year, we we were in a position where we were we were going to have a 1.3. Well, we had a 1.3 million dollar deficit, and then I know you found places to cut, like 900 thousand dollars worth of cuts and postponing hires. But in the end, we still had a 1.5 million dollar deficit. So I'm just wondering, were those cuts still in place? Are they still in place? Um, the postponing of the the new hires is that all still a part of this budget? A, a part of the fifteen sixteen budget? Yeah. No, not not all of them, and it, uh, we're addressing some of those things here. No, some of the cuts, some of the well, the the cuts, the expenditure cuts. Yes, we did we did carry those through. Um, the hirings we did. That's one of the next things I'm going to go over. There's. The classified um, permanent, we hired um, several positions there, and that increased about 359000 That was based on... So, so as part of the integrated planning and budget process, one of the things that happens in the area, in the unit plans, is people request positions. We had about, I don't know, $1.2 million worth of requests for positions. Um, about 19 positions were prioritized from the area councils, came forward to cabinet over the summer. A result of that process, um, the rubric is attached, is contained in, in your budget packet, was that in the general fund, five positions were funded, um, one of which was um, uh, an employee that was already on staff was moved into, uh, and then four of those positions are currently open for hire. Um, we also funded uh, four positions outside of the general fund in categorical um, grant areas or grant areas. Any other questions on that? I just, I just have a comment. I, I'm just, I mean, you, you expressed it, Dr. Hawk. I, I'm just concerned that we're in a pattern of deficit spending that we overspent last year that we're already planning to overspend this year and that it's not sustainable um, and not responsible. And I'm just wondering, I know you said the budget committee was going to look at more places to cut. Um, I don't know. I feel like we need, like, this is a crisis. Like, we need a special meeting. Can we shit everything on the table? Um, I don't know. Has there ever been any community forums? I know there was a forum with the staff, but were the community where we could kind of figure out ways that we can cut or save or do something because it just doesn't seem, again, it's not sustainable and responsible. We have done some of those those things, and we certainly need to do that again, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about, I think, next week, about going out, not just within the budget committee, not just that group, but campus-wide, you know, the community, anybody that wants to help, we're we can use the help, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're in a bit of a challenge. Um, 
you know, right now. And, and I think the question is, you know, what, what should Napa Valley College look like going forward? And um, because we're not going to be able to just cut our way out of this. We really have to kind of rethink ourselves. And then zero-based budget to rebuild ourselves to, to that new image. And so the question is, what, what is that? And so that's why I said at the end, what's that strategic focus and what's that look like? And um, because we can zero base, and I think that's a healthy thing to do, but we need to know what are we going to zero base to and what's the new NVC look like and how, how does that look and how do we operate and function? Because we, we can't cut out and operate in the same way we're operating now. It just won't work. There's not enough there to do that. And so, you know, it starts with the ed master planning that we talked about before. Um, you know, do we have the right programs? Um, which programs are growing? Which ones are declining? And how do we, you know, transition those up and down? Um, so there's a variety of influences that, um, you know, help guide us to create that new vision. Um, and that's a collaborative effort that we all have to go through. That's not a budget committee effort. Um, you know, it's a college effort. And so that... From, from my perspective, is kind of the conversation going forward. Yeah, and just a final point. I, I, I'm especially concerned because we have these Prop 30 monies right now, I and mean, we've had them since 2012, and I think they're about $4 million a year, and um, they're going away. So it seems like we need to do something now. So For sure. is that that's in the near future that we're going to have that forum? Yes, yes, yeah. mm-hmm, definitely. Yeah, I think we've already um, carefully resurrected the last version of the blog, um, the budget. Um, the, what, what did you call it, Carly? <laughs> we called it the budget blog. The budget blog, okay. So I think that had happened a couple years back, so we're going to resurrect that. Many of those things actually have already been um, implemented. If there are other things there that we can implement, um, we, can, we can do that. But again, I, I don't see that we're going to cut our way out of this. It's it's really rethinking ourselves, um, and so that's not an exercise that's going to happen, you know, with one meeting. That's it's really um, a bigger, and, and it requires some upfront planning to help inform inform that as well, and functional analysis in the in the functional areas, and um, it's a different type of exercise. Two comments. Um, I, I agree. This. It's a, it's a serious situation, but those of us that were here for many years, you know, we've been here before. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the, I did attend the budget forum uh, at the end of August, and uh, you know, the faculty had some creative ideas in terms of. You know, well, the question was raised about what per, what percentage of our our classes are online. Uh, the whole issue of new programs. I mean, uh, we are not digitally friend- friendly for the students in this area that are coming out of New Tech High and and uh, other programs where uh, so much of it is you know is digital learning. Digital. And uh, I I understand, and as we've done many times before, gone through and and did a clean sweep and. Uh, Reduced a lot of expenditures, uh, but as Janine is saying, you know we're kind of beyond that at this point. So I think we need to look at at uh, where we go in terms of of uh, building uh, new programs. And I know the length of time it takes to put together an entire program, but there are short term uh, 
uh, job training, short-term uh, career. Uh, the, the, the private schools are coming along and, and putting together curriculum for a year or so. And uh, I would hope that, that we would take that positive approach um, in, uh, as we move forward with it. Mm-hmm. My second comment is uh, uh, if there is a DAS board, which you say there is, then, uh, yes, they, they would have control of that money. But this board can control DAS. If we decide to dump DAS, we can do that. So... Uh, you know, th- th- that decision can be made by us. I have a, a question. Um, question, maybe comment. You, you say, you know, we can't cut our way out of this, uh, which is the first thing, you know, that comes to mind is what can we cut? And if it's going to require a whole kind of institutional change, which would seem to me it's going to take years, <laughs> Uh, what can we do now to to keep from getting in a bigger hole next year? I mean, can we? Are there things we can stop adding? And I know you you talked a little bit about the hiring and the hiring freeze last year, but I think I don't know. It's every week. Maybe I see that. Oh, we're advertising for these positions. We're ad, you know a new announcement goes out. We're advertising for these. Are those things that have to be done, or are, I know you said that there are requests for positions that come in from the different departments, or uh, but how is that controlled? Well, um, you know, I have talked to before about budget discipline and what that means, and you know, that's about spending. It's about hi- hiring and spending um, in, in a discretionary way. So um, we're, we're we're learning budget discipline at Napa Valley College. Um, people are used to doing business a certain way, and in order to do business that way, they require employees to do that. That's why I'm saying it can't be business as usual, because we, we won't be able to afford to do that. We won't be able to restore the number of positions we had five years ago, 12 years ago, three years ago. As much as, you know, I can understand people's desire to do that, um, I just don't see it from a fiscal perspective making sense. And and I understand the flip side of that is, but they can't keep doing what they're doing without more people. So that means we have to change what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, and so that's an exercise that we have, we have to do from my perspective. Um, we've just implemented a purchasing system this year. We haven't had a purchasing system. Basically, people can spend. <laughs> there doesn't have to be budget there to spend. They can just spend. Um, now, they've had budget authority, and they've had the ability to see budgets, and we're going to talk, do more training around that starting actually tomorrow morning at 830. Um, but we have never encumbered expenditures here at the college. Is that, is that right, Glenna? No, we, we have. Okay. Not, not as much as we should. Obviously. Okay, so we're going to start to encumber expenditures and by using the purchasing system. So making sure there's actually budget there before you spend. You have to actually get your expenditure approved before you spend it or ask for reimbursement. So there's elements of kind of um, budget discipline that you know I'm trying to implement with Glenna and her team's assistance. So, um, but you know people get cranky about that. <laughs> 
you know, so it's, you know, it's not like people are really open to wanting to do it, but, you know, people are coming along, and we're, we're going to keep talking about it and doing training and things like that. Um, so, so I think that's part of it. Um, and then sometimes we just have to say no. And, um, you know, in my role, uh, you know, I, I say no. Everybody doesn't always like that. But we have to be able to say that. Um, it has to be more than just me saying no. <laughs> so, you know, we have to, as a, as a college, we have to understand the challenge, and we have to all then be willing to be part of the solution and all say no. Um, as much as we understand the need, as much as we know people are working as hard as they can possibly work, um, so we've got to change the work um, so we can make it through this. And Joanne's right, these cycles come and go, but right now we're in a boom cycle and we're in a, in a crisis. Normally this happens when we're in a bust cycle. <laughs> and so that's the challenge in particular at Napa that I think is a little different than what some of your historical cycles have been and what I've seen at other institutions. Right now we have money flowing in, but we're not able to hold on to it, and that's a problem because we're probably headed into another bus cycle here in two years. So, In terms of saying no, I, I think that's a responsibility of this board. Part One of our responsibilities is, is to assure the fiscal health of the district. And that one of the budgetary values that we voted for this year was that we weren't going to deficit spend. Um, I was really upset, actually, last night when I saw this online because I wasn't expecting that we were going to be asked to approve a deficit budget. And my inclination is that we need to send it back to the budget committee or and tell them to figure it out because it's not it's not okay. So I don't know. Does anybody else from the board have a question or a comment? A budget report. Respond to that. Um, so we have a statutory requirement to adopt a budget by September fifteenth, <laughs> um, and today is the tenth. So, um, with respect, I would hope that we would approve the budget, maybe with some direction to do some additional work. But I, I would ask that we do adopt it so we can continue doing business. <laughs> I'll move we adopt the uh, uh, the budget. And uh, the discussion relate brought by by staff related to uh, looking and approaching the deficit spending in another uh, in other manners that perhaps we haven't. Uh, we would encourage that. I'll second second the motion. I would like to see some maybe direction towards focusing on our current local economy too, and what is our current community need as far as jobs or certificate programs and what kind of classes we need to be offering to increase that enrollment instead of focusing on out-of-town students. I mean, why do people leave Napa and not go here and go to Santa Rosa or Tahoe? I think that we lose some of those students that we could capture. I think that would be a strategy I'd like to work on. Okay, on the question, all in favor of approving the proposed budget, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Abstain. I'm going to abstain. Okay. Let the record show that Ms. Martinson abstains on the budget vote. Thank you. 7.0. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
7.0 public comment in general. At this time, the board will devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the Board of Trustees regarding any subject not appearing as an agenda item for this meeting, but over which the board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the board to place an item related to the business of the district on a future board agenda. No action or discussion will occur at this time on such items. Individuals will be limited to a three-minute presentation. At this time, the board chair will poll those in attendance regarding their intent to speak on the agenda. I believe we have three people who wish to speak. And uh, first on the ticket is Mary Shea. That's on a specific agenda item. Oh. Um, I think all three of those are. I don't know if you have anyone for just general public comment. No, these are all, these are specific. Okay, so seeing no one wishing to speak under the general public comment, public comment is over, and now it's constituent groups. Academic Senate, Amanda Badgett, President. Thank you. Good evening, board. Um, I had the opportunity today to be interviewed by Jeff Sheckman for Napa Broadcasting, along with my first vice president, Maria Villagomez, about the Academic Senate and its role on campus. And Mr. Sheckman asked me to define shared governance for him, and so on the fly I gave it my best shot. And I described it as a process in which you have many stakeholders with different perspectives, but they come together uh, committed to uh, work together to get and give input for a common purpose. And here, obviously, it's uh, student learning and success. Indeed, our board policy reads that, quote, shared governance is a commitment to an open process which allows and encourages participation of all constituent groups in accordance with need, function, and the law. The process offers anyone affected by a decision the opportunity to comment on that decision. So since being elected as Academic Senate President, I've attended three Board of Trustee meetings, including tonight. And at every meeting, there has been an item brought to this body that my constituents had yet to weigh on, in on. In July, it was approving funds to revise the Education Master Plan. Last month, it was the initial report of the Campus Master Plan which only came to faculty on August 25th to the uh, Academic Senate meeting. That was after it had been presented here. And I want to quote from the page 9 of that document, quote, the campus master plan, plan excuse me, was undertaken after numerous conversations, meetings, dialogue with community and business leaders, city and county officials, the Napa Valley College Board of Trustees, college stage excuse me, stakeholders and leadership groups, end quote. Simply put, that plan is not the result of any considered input by faculty, nor was any version of that plan ever presented to faculty. And so it was at that meeting, the Academic Senate meeting, that Dr. Kraft was, where he presented a summary of the campus master plan. This was August 25th. And he was asked if we were going out for a bond, to which he said, he said, I don't think so, no, but the board might. Which brings me to tonight's meeting, <laughs> the third I've been to, and item 11.2 and the related supporting documents. 
For the third time, I, as a constituent leader, am finding out that plans are being considered in this chamber without these plans ever having been discussed through the usual channels, for example, our planning uh, committee. And given the timeline that was provided tonight, it looks as if we may be moving forward, though I appreciate it's not an action item. And so in the absence of any opportunity for faculty to weigh in, um, I have chose, I chose to poll my constituents today through a survey asking three <laughs> simple questions. Have you read the campus master plan? The, um, are you in favor of the college developing partnerships with outside stakeholders, particularly in developing our um, unused land? And are you in favor of going out for a bond? It was hardly a sophisticated survey. Um, but I can say, and I'm happy to share in general, the, um, the responses, faculty in terms of a bond, about 64% were not in favor, leaving about 35 a little bit more, uh, saying yes. Um, I would say that some of the um, comments, for example, positive, and, and so one could weigh in and, and actually elaborate with comments. Some of the comments uh, that were in favor of the bond said, I personally think it makes sense, but I'm concerned about the process by which this campus master plan was developed, as well as the, the way the board, uh, excuse me, the bond has been presented, and by which the decision to go out for a bond is being made. Just in the, as in the last failed attempt at a bond, this appears to be a top-down, administratively-based decision that has not made use of our shared governance practice of including input from all relevant stakeholders. Um, there were those who said that um, that sentiment was repeated, though there were some who felt that, yes, the bond is needed for improvements regarding um, instructional technology and uh, facilities improvement, uh, instructional spaces. It's... Also, I, but uh, with regard to the question regarding uh, the partnerships with outside stakeholders, um, that actually, the faculty, again, uh, this was about 62 uh, faculty members, weighed in, and about 52% were in favor. Um, and some of those comments were that if the agreements are clear and there are well-planned projects that have strong feasibility for revenue, that goes back into our programs. Most businesses take several years to earn a profit, so I'd like to see us work with either well-established businesses or those that have a very solid business plan in place. And another comment, and these were all anonymous. I'm not, um, I don't know who the source of these are. Uh, the college should consider working with community stakeholders as long as any development furthers the mission of the college. Unfortunately, many aspects of the campus master plan don't appear to do this. Um, for example, the, um, the, uh, the amenities such as fitness club, bookstore, cafes, part of the village is outside our mission and actually seems ridiculous. Um, so we are a community college. We need to focus on educating our local students. So I simply, and there are more, I was just giving you some of them, to, give, to allow my constituents to actually weigh in on this because we just simply have not up until this time. Um, so I would also point out that in the supporting documents for this evening's meeting, one of them is the uh, report 
in uh, kind of outlining the last time we went out for a bond, and it was clearly stated there that um, you need to have full input from all constituent groups for it to work. So, um, in any case, I at the end of or towards the end of my interview with uh, Mr. Checkman this morning, he asked me if there were any pitfalls of shared governance if there were a downside, shall we say. And I had to admit there were. I mean, it can be messy, and it is far from expedient. But shared governance is our culture, and it is what we embrace, warts and all sometimes. So I respectfully ask the board to recognize the importance of shared governance and considering constituents' input before acting on these large-scale and far-reaching plans. Thank you. Thank you. 8.2, Administrative Confidential confidential Senate Report, Ken Arnold. What? I was going to say, you could probably hear me without it. However, every time I do that, somebody, uh, then Jeff goes, oh, you're not on tape, so... Um, For, for the certainly the sake of time, thank you to the board for uh, recognizing uh, the the valuable contributions of the administration. We have a lot of folks who have stayed with the district for very for a very long time, have stuck through the district through a lot of different issues and supported you and continue to support you. Uh, and we appreciate you recognizing that uh, today by that agreement. Thank you. 8.3 Associated Students in Napa Valley College Report. Eleni Tam? I am not Eleni. <laughs> okay. I didn't think so. Yeah, so uh, Eleni was unaware of the meeting being this week. She thought it was next week, so I am taking her place. My name is uh, Alexander Redman. I am the Senator for Facilities and Technological Infrastructure at ASNVC. So I do a lot with the computers and such. Um, so I'm just here to fill you in on some of the things that ASNBC has been doing this last month. Um, we voted in a few new members, and namely me, uh, a new senator for compu- business and computer studies. Uh, his name is Jerry Krauss-Ling. Um, and then we recently voted in our sergeant-at-arms, William Cruz. He was half voted in <laughs> previously, so we finalized that. Um, we created a new committee. Uh, it's called the Interior Decoration Ad Hoc Committee. Uh, basically, we wanted to kind of liven up the student, li- student life office. It is a little dark and dreary right now, so we want to kind of create a committee to make it a little prettier for the students to want to come in and try and talk to us. Um, we had Club Rush on August 26th and 27th. We uh, had surveys passed out to anyone that attended. It was very, we had a lot of students come, a lot of pizza given out, a lot of people attended the clubs, and so lots of different clubs got a lot of new members. Uh, We gave all those surveys to the Honor Society, Phi Theta Kappa. They are compiling all the data, and they are going to give it to us at a later date. Um, Our events coordinator, Graciela Ramirez. She's working with Classified Senate right now on creating a Halloween event for all the students on campus. Uh, 
I believe it's supposed to be some torp- some type of carnival theme. Uh, so that's going to be interesting. Um, we've talked about uh, Seesaw, which is the Community College Student Affairs Association of California. Um, that event happens October 23rd to the 25th. Basically, we've just started discussing on who's going to attend. Um, the Student Activities Center is in phase two of, of furnishing. Basically, we're just getting all of the different couches and chairs coming in. Phase two, I believe, is four separate couches. Um, and I guess the last thing is just we want to remind everyone to talk to students about emergency food being available to them in the case of, of necessity. Um, and if anyone wants, if any student wants to check if they're eligible for that, all they need to do is come to the student life office and talk to any anyone in there, namely the office assistant. And that's it. Thank you. Thank you. Eight point four classified association report. Jan Shark, president. Good evening. Um, it's ironic that Amanda gave her report the way she did. But because basically I was going to mirror what she said. One of the ongoing issues we're hearing at our classified meetings is that shared governance isn't working. Um, It takes too long. We're not being heard. We're not being listened to. Um, And there's a great lack of communication on campus, and we need to rebuild that if we want to work as a unified body. I would also like to thank the board for um, and the administration for making sure that three of the employees who had, there was a violation of the 120-day provision on our contract, three of the employees have been hired now to fill the vacant um, positions they were in or other positions. We still have one that we're working on, and hopefully we'll have a resolution to that very soon. Thank you. Thank you. 8.5, Classified Senate Report, Chris Farmer, President. Hello. Um, well, it is September, and we have a new Employee of the Month. Let me just start with the positive. Our Employee of the Month is Anna Montanez. She is in custodial services. She's worked here a little over a year. And I thought I'd take the opportunity to give you guys a little insight on what happens when someone wins Employee of the Month. A group of us get together with noisemakers and all sorts of rowdy stuff, and we try our best to shock them. I don't want to swear we're being recorded, but we try to scare them or surprise them in front of their coworkers as much as possible. And Anna was probably the best one I've ever been part of. She was in the custodial kickoff, and we came marching through the door, making all kinds of noise, and gave her flowers. And if anyone in here knows Anna, she, she doesn't talk a lot. She's very quiet, and she turned bright red. Um, I asked her if there was anything she wanted me to say on her behalf to the board, and she just she did that. So there you go. Um, so that's our employee of the month for September. You can see her picture on the wall in the staff lounge. Um, I do want to talk about Halloween. We are partnering with ASNVC to do a Halloween uh, extravaganza at the end of October. That will be the main social event that is on the 29th, oh, excuse me, the 29th of October, so the last Thursday in October. Everyone's invited. We're going to do some sort of carnival theme, photo booth, um, carnival games, costume contests. We are taking volunteers for the pie eating contest. I believe Dr. Kraft uh, is well experienced 
in pie eating contest. I believe I have a couple pictures of that on our website. Um, uh, pie eating contest, not pie to the face contest. Um, um, good fun. The other thing we're going to be doing through the whole month is we're going to be doing office booing. So if someone leaves you a treat with a boo sticker, uh, you've been booed, and it is your obligation to then boo someone else. So that will be going on for the entire month of October, so be keeping an eye out for that. Um, on the topic of shared governance and professional development, I just want to say the classified staff are hungry to improve. Um, they want professional development. Um, sometimes it feels like we have to claw for every little last bit of it. Uh, we recently had our instructional excellence day, our flex days, and after that our staff development center sent out a survey to staff asking how many actually participated in the instructional excellence day. Um, out of 40 respondents, we got one who actually participated. And I don't want to I want to present this more in Council of Presidents, but the general hint, the responses were not positive. So as this campus goes, the staff really want more opportunity to be involved in professional development, and the way Flex Day is right now is just not cutting it for us. We really want to be more of a part of the campus. And then on a final note, I went to watch the Vallejo Admirals game with a few other staff a little while back. And um, based on that experience, I had to reevaluate who my favorite board member was uh, because I found out that one of our board members is a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan. Um, so I will be taking applications starting tomorrow for my new favorite board member. Uh, that's all I got. Thank you. Thank you. 8.6 Faculty Association Board, Diana Chibodi. Hi. So first, um, I'd like to start off with a positive also. Um, a great start to the semester. I just want to tell you, I'm teaching a late start class that just started, oh, it was only yesterday, sorry, <laughs> um, up at Calistoga High School um, with their La Promesa program, and it's, it is absolutely great fun, so I'm looking forward to a great collaboration, and if Michelle's still here, she um, kind of orchestrated that, so it's been, a, um, it's been fun. So... Um, so the other thing I wanted to also tell you is that I've had um, some very productive and collaborative meetings with um, VP Juni on matters relative to increasing campus harmony and collaboration. Um, in addition, I've had meetings with um, Vice President Hawk on the budget, and that she, I just want to say also, she gives very graciously of her time to explain budget um, items in great detail to faculty when we ask those questions. And as you all know, we often don't see eye to eye, but she's the budget person and I'm faculty. So um, I appreciate her vigilance in trying to keep our budget under control and her time that she has given me over the past couple of weeks and answering my questions. I have also um, had the opportunity to work with Dean Eklund and resolving some issues that um, have been on our tables and emails. Um, I haven't had an opportunity since the start of the semester to work with um, VPA DeHaro, but my experiences in the past have always been great, so I'm not expecting that to change. Um, but um, unfortunately, um, I have, I also have some concerns. Um, 
and which I'll touch on in, in brief. So I have a colleague in the state um, at other colleges. I have actually lots of friends and colleagues that I work with at other colleges. And I was very surprised and dismayed when this individual gave me a copy of an email that they had received since they participate, because of their position, on the um, community college um, CEO listserv. And that email was sent by our college president. And the email starts out, good afternoon, colleagues. But then it says that Napa Valley College has just completed a main campus master plan that includes, as one of its initiatives, the, the proposed development of student, maybe staff, housing on the main campus property. I know that several of us in the system have blah, blah, blah. And it kind of just goes on and asks for feedback and information. So the reason that this is a concern for me is that I very distinctly remember at the last board meeting, and just to be sure that my memory was accurate, I re-listened to that board meeting today. Um, fun time. And in that, there was no vote to approve this main master plan, campus master plan. I have the documents here. It says initial report. So to my knowledge, that plan has not been approved. It is not completed. Um, if, if I'm wrong and there was a vote, I would like to know what agenda that was on and what action item that was. So my concern is, is that we have these plans out there, and I would like to mirror what my colleague, President um, of the Senate, um, Amanda Badgett, said about these plans come from seemingly nowhere to faculty. And they are brought to us after they are done. So... With that, I would like to know and ask the board to please delineate for us which plans have been completed and approved by you and are being implemented, where the other volumes that were referred to at the last board meeting are in the process. And I would like to know um, that for a couple of reasons, is we also spent, as you may recall from an email that I sent out, of in July, um, we already spent you know the 4,500 plus or whatever on the Edmaster plan, and we already have spent from 13, 14, and 14, 15 that I can find in the budget on it. The consultant for the campus master planning facilitator, 43,498 dollars for the initial report plan that we got. And what concerns me is in light of our less than positive budget. We continue to spend money on consultants, and we're spending them on plans that are surprises to us as constituent groups when they appear on your board agenda. And I will stop there, because I said I would be brief. Other than that, the start of the semester has been fabulous. Thank you for your time and your effort for our college. Thank you. Uh, 9.0, Superintendent President's Report. Are we allowed to comment to board reports or, or constituent reports or no? No? Okay. Well, I'd so like to dig in to the misinformation and misunderstandings that I'm hearing. Uh, I, I will, um, however, save that for another portion of this report. Um, I, I will spend a little bit of time and say, generally speaking, 
the the level of misinformation is phenomenal to me. So I need to make sure that we can connect, and Diana, and and I think with with all of you, um, in terms of what you're perceiving um, as a plan versus an initial report, how a, the, the presidency or any other leader at the institution should inquire or explore ideas, there must be a way to do that in a fashion that is um, acceptable. So, you know, so what you have seen and what the board has seen is a report not a master plan for adoption. We're still exploring, and that's that's it. So it is on the agenda and was on the agenda so we can have a shared governance, participatory governance conversation. You have all been invited into that conversation repeatedly. Nothing is moving forward. The only thing that is moving forward is inquiry. So when I reached out to my CEO colleagues and said, Save me from more and more consultancy fees, who has already explored on-site development. That was what that was. So there, there has to be a way in which, A, I could sit in my office, I suppose, and never bring to the fore any idea ever, except out loud or with the permission of participatory governance groups. But that's not my job or role. My job and role is to explore and lead. So it, I, I don't know quite what to say in terms of the exploration of ideas. If, if the exploration of ideas is indeed discouraged by the institution, then we have more serious problems than I want to contemplate. So if we cannot even have the discourse, then I'm really frustrated. So with that said, I, you know, I'm kind of just counterpointing a little bit. I, I would like to move on to some other stuff and recognize in some good ways um, some folks here. Um, on my report quickly, and I'll, I'll do this because we have so much more to do. Um, um, Aaron Quigley was recognized for a NASA award, which has gotten quite a bit of, of splash um, nationally, regionally, and internationally now. Um, it's really helped Napa Valley College. Um, I think leverage with Napa Learns. We are in conversations with Napa Learns, and maybe Terry's going to talk about this, but maybe not tonight, um, in, in terms of um, some outreach, and we can talk a little bit about that. Transfer Center had a great event. I've only done a couple things, and I'm sure Oscar was going to mention that as well, but I just highlighted it. Um, the rest is a conversation that the Chancellor is having. I, I sent out to the broad community of stakeholders, college stakeholders, that the Chancellor's report. Um, um, they had a task force on accreditation. He agreed with the, with the accreditation recommendations in there. And basically what we're really talking about is the, the system really wants to look hard, long and hard at the accreditation process and the style. So there is a lot of angst kind of in the system. Um, and I will um, um, forward more over as we know. We know we have our accreditation um, visit unrelated to this coming up, but I'm excited about um, that, and we'll, we'll be talking more about that as we um, uh, get more into the meeting. The rest are just uh, selected community pieces. And with that, I, you know, I wanted to call on um, Bill Hardy, who's, um, again, an external um, party to the, to the poor here, but um, 
Maybe you can do your report now, Bill. Yeah, I'm feeling more external all the time, actually. But uh, <laughs> the uh, thanks very much for inviting me to to speak, and uh, I just have a couple of things that I want to go over. I mentioned last time I was here uh, that we were going to uh, gather an ad hoc or blue ribbon group of people who are in the wine wine business to talk about what how we could expand and what role the foundation could play in the VWT program. And we've done that. Had the first meeting. It was very productive. A really a great bunch of people who gave of their time and, and uh, uh, spent a couple hours with us going over ideas. We'll have more of them. And then once we have something that we can talk about that's coherent, uh, we'll share it with, with you folks and see what we can do as a foundation to uh, supplement what the school spends on facilities development and otherwise, and how we can go about doing fundraising, which we will, uh, we're still in the early phases, but this is a development thing, sort of what Dr. Kraft was just referring to in another context. This is sort of a long-range idea <coughs> for hooking up on, a, uh, on an affiliated basis with winery people, people in the wine business in the whole valley. With the hope, hope and understanding that they'll be more identified with the school and more willing to uh, be active participants in helping the school go forward. So our job long-term is to help as much as we can to supplement uh, the budget needs of the school and, to, and the other needs of the school. Um, we, we had a lot of ideas, but rather than just sort of rattling them off now uh, incoherently, as I customarily do, uh, I will. I will uh, wait until we have something that's a bit, a bit more solid, and then, then we'll share it. Um, hopefully, by the by, the next meeting or the one thereafter. We uh, are planning an event in the spring. It's going to be some sort of gala, some sort of uh, fundraiser for the purpose. And we're not exactly clear, but that may have something to do with the viticulture program as well. Uh, we have uh, a couple of prospective new board members, and we'll announce those when they. Uh, when they accept and, and uh, decide to come on board. We have a, a part-time person working with us who's wonderful, and she just started this week, which was, which was terrific. We are uh, we're, we're pretty much on budget. Our budget is, you know, like a, a spare change compared to the school's budget, but uh, uh, it is, uh, uh, it's working, and, and we're trying, we're, our goal is to raise more money and to give out more scholarships and more support for, for the school. So I'll, I'll, we'll get back to you. I, I, I had a little hard time putting my mind around this whole idea of what the role of the foundation would be in all of this VWT stuff because our, our, our core idea is to raise money and support the school. But I think that this, by creating this sort of bonding between members of the industry and the school, we'll actually end up doing just that. And that's that's the goal. So, thanks. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. I just for your efforts on the foundation, a pleasure of talking with Geraldo Martin, I believe, right? Right. And uh, a great conversation. I think there's a lot of positive things coming from the foundation right now, and I just wanted to say thank you. Yeah, I think so too. It's pretty frustrating coming from the private sector to try to f figure out how to get all this stuff pushed forward, but but we're working on it. All right, thanks. Thank you. Thank you.
Vice Presidents. Terry, you want to take it away? Uh, yes. Um, actually, I'm going to be really brief because I've, you've already heard me talk a lot, and this is probably going to be a long meeting. But I did want to say a couple of things. No, number one, um, we've heard a lot of doom and gloom tonight. Uh, it, it is the beginning of the fall semester, and that brings a, quite a level of excitement to the college. And, and Diana kind of mentioned that in regard to her class at Calistoga. And, and so I appreciate the work that faculty are doing as we get classes going. And it's great to see all the students uh, wandering around, talking around, and going to class. So that's all really exciting. Um, the other two things I wanted to mention, one is in regard to the, the budget. And in Janine's one slide where she was showing uh, next year, um, she was indicating in that, which I totally understand, is that the enhanced non-credit was the same dollar amount as what it has been in the past. But, but I imagine that that number is going to go up because, as we mentioned before, that curriculum is starting to move through the curriculum committee. Um, and so we will have enhanced non-credit programs that will be part of the following year's apportionment. So that will also help in this uh, budget hard times. And then the third thing I wanted to mention is also good news. Um, we just passed a deadline for the uh, associate degrees for transfer, um, both uh, bills uh, 1440 and Senate Bill 440 that had various requirements of community colleges having a certain number of transfer degrees in place. Um, uh, Napa Valley College is in compliance. Uh, we are um, one of 56 colleges of the 113 in compliance with uh, Senate Bill 440, and we are one of 26 of uh, the 113 colleges in compliance with Ed Code 66746BC. Um, both of those basically require that we have a certain number of transfer degrees in place based on our uh, local degrees, and we actually exceed that number. And so um, that's due to the hard work of our faculty uh, curriculum committee. Um, we currently have 16 associate degrees for transfer, and we have two more that are in the queue that will be approved sometime this semester. Thank you. Janine. Okay. Um, Oscar. Yes, thank you. And, and I, too, will, will be brief. And one reason for that is because uh, the, the vice presidents have, have a wager on how, uh, on how early or how late this meet will end. So I want to make sure that I'm on the winning side. Um, but actually, what I want to share with you, for those of you who, who are you not here. skew the results, though, <laughs> by the length of your. <laughs> those of you who, who, uh, who didn't have the opportunity to, to attend our transfer day, it was a successful event. Uh, it, it was yesterday, and I'm I'm, uh, I'm very thankful that Howard Willis, our dear counselor, is here with us because it was he and his and his great staff that was able to pull this this event off. Uh, we had over 50 colleges that were here. Uh, we had a great number of students that that attended and that visited each of the campuses. Um, but also, we had uh, approximately 340 uh, students from from the high schools who were transported um, by us by by the college. And that's an effort that we've we've wanted to uh, to engage in for the last couple of years. We de we didn't have any money for this, but now we do through through SSSP. So we transported uh, uh, five high schools um, and another high school, Valley Oak, actually New New Tech, used the uh, used the buying tra transportation. But um, also included with information they're handing out is uh, is a listing of the workshops that the Trans Center has to offer our students, all in the name of student success. And uh, once again, I want to thank Howard and his staff for a, for a job well done. Thank you, Howard.
Thank you, Oscar. Uh, strategic communications report. We got a an email on that. Yeah, it's I online. I think it's a, it's online to read. Uh, I see Liz is not here, so it won't be a verbal report tonight. So let's go on to uh, information discussion items 11.0. 11.1, accreditation update. Robin, you can take it away, please. Um, I'm here to share some information about the upcoming site visit, as well as the letter that we received from the ACCJC last month. Uh, the chair of our external evaluation team visited campus a couple of weeks ago to begin preparation and coordination for the visit. As you know, the visit is scheduled for Monday, September 28th through Thursday, October 1st. The team will arrive on campus on Monday, and on Tuesday morning, Ron will welcome the team, and the team members will briefly introduce themselves. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, will be spent conducting interviews and holding one forum each day. And on Thursday morning, the team will present the exit report and then depart. Uh, you should put the exit report on your calendars if you are available to attend. Ron and I are coordinating a series of emails and reminders to the campus community, and those will be sent out over the next few weeks. Uh, three weeks from today, the team will have come and gone, and so that puts us at T minus 18 at this point. Oops. Oh, sorry. I backed up somehow. Right. Uh, my office is coordinating the details of the visit, and that includes scheduling interviews and meetings between team members and MVC faculty, staff, students, and board members. I will communicate with you all through Ron or Carol Lee, and during his uh, pre-visit a couple weeks ago, Dr. Llewellyn, our team chair, indicated that the interviews with board members will likely be assigned to him, and they might be structured around two meetings with a few board members included in each one. We anticipate getting the initial list of interview requests from the team next week. Uh, during his visit, Dr. Loyalin emphasized a few items that are highlighted for you here. Um, those include the philosophy of accreditation, focusing on the goal of improvement. He, indicates that that is, he indicated that this is not an inquisition and it is not designed with the intent of uh, arranging for a gotcha moment. Uh, from this point forward, and actually from a few weeks ago forward, uh, the team drives everything, and that includes the interview requests. They request, and then we respond or accommodate. And I want to emphasize that it is not the reverse. Uh, team members will be meeting with as many people as possible during their visit. However, they will not be able to meet with everyone in the short time that they are here. So per to provide an opportunity for members of the campus community that will not be interviewed as individuals or as part of a group, uh, to allow an opportunity for them to participate, the team will be holding two open forums. And those, there's one on Tuesday and one on Wednesday. Uh, while they are here, team members will be welcome to Rome campus, visiting classes and meetings as they see fit to observe and learn more about our practices. The team will present the exit report on Thursday morning, and as I've indicated before, the team's report will not include a recommendation regarding our accredited status. That will not be communicated to us until the commission meets and takes action. The exit report will be very general, 
It will include some commendations and identify some areas for improvement. The recommendations will not be verbatim to the final report we receive from the team or the action letter we receive from the ACCJC later. They also, the, that's the recommendations also, will not be numbered or ranked. Uh, Dr. Llewellyn indicated that the recommendations will likely be worded along the lines of, the team anticipates a recommendation around, and then some general area that will be identified. Uh, this table is based on information included in the ACCJC Manual for Institutional Self-Evaluation, and it identifies key events in the accreditation process. I've included information about the timing of events for visits scheduled in the fall, as well as the actual dates scheduled for NVC, and you can see that this is a work in progress. Um, following NVC's, team vis uh, NVC's visit, the team will complete its draft evaluation report. That will be sent to Ron for correction of errors of fact only. The team will submit its final report to the ACCJC in time for it to be reviewed prior to the January 2016 commission meeting, which I learned from Krista Johns today has been scheduled for January 6th through 8th. Uh, we anticipate receiving an action letter from the ACCJC during the first week of February. Um, as part of my report, I also wanted to address the letter that we received from the ACCJC last month. Um, I will share that this is the first evidence I've ever seen or heard of that the ACCJC reviews and acts on annual report submissions. Uh, based on the flurry of activity on listservs, and that includes the RP group listserv and the CIO listserv, uh, in the days following receipt of our letter, I, we are not alone in receiving a letter this year. Uh, the letter we received was distributed to the board prior to the meeting, and Carolee has hard copies of the letter available. The letter indicates that we've been flagged for enhanced monitoring and the possibility of a special report. And I have spoken to Krista Johns, um, who's the writer of the letter from the ACCJC, and she indicated that the visiting team has not received a copy of the letter, and that has to do with the timing of our um, site visit and the, when, when our response to the letter is due. Um, there were two areas of concern identified in the letter and which communicated a request for additional information about those items. Um, so the two areas are uh, institution set standards and SLO assessment. Um, and in recent years, we have reported the licensure exam pass rates and job placement rates to the ACCJC as required through the annual report. However, we have not explicitly identified to them our expected standards of performance regarding those measures, and that's what the letter communicates to us. So the good news is that we were aware of both of these issues before we received the letter. And as evidence of that, I refer specifically to the compliance checklist that was included in our self-evaluation report, where we indicated that our work on the institution set standards for job placement and licensure pass rates was in progress. And I have the citations of page numbers if you want to go look. Um, the other uh, citation is the quality focus essay in which we identified SLO assessment practices as an area for improvement that emerged from our self-evaluation across the standards. The bad news is that we are among the lowest 15 institutions in the region in terms of ongoing assessment activities reported among courses and programs. And this was, in fact, news to us because we never received it uh, information like that before. 
Um, so the table I've projected here presents the information that we have submitted to the ACCJC via annual reports and the 2012 SLO implementation report. And as you can see, the numbers have not increased incrementally over the past four years. Instead, they have fluctuated. Uh, in the annual reports that we submit to the ACCJC, we're required to report the numbers, but we are not asked to explain any recent changes in the figures. However, we know some of the reasons why our numbers have changed, and I want to highlight those for you. So first, the number of courses, programs, services, and outcomes has changed over the years. And I'm going to focus, as an example, um, on the final column of the table. So the final columns, column um, shows how a change in the set of services or outcomes might impact the numbers. Originally, we had six ILOs, that's Institutional Learning Outcomes. And as reported in the table, we began assessing the first of those outcomes in 2012. And so the 17% figure that report, is reported in the table represents one of our, at the time, six ILOs. In 2013, we revised the ILOs and narrowed the list to four. Um, so that change in the denominator, combined with continued assessment activities, increased the ILO assessment figures. Um, similar changes impacted the figures for student learning and support programs, which is reported in the column um, labeled support. Uh, so those examples involve decreases in the denominator, which then yield an increase uh, in the associated rates. Um, changes in our course offerings have yielded similar changes in the denominator for SLO calculations. However, those have been in the opposite direction and yielded <coughs> excuse me, the opposite effect. So we have expanded our course offerings through the, the development of new curriculum designed to meet student needs. And also recent changes in repeatability have led to increases in the denominator. Uh, finally, we have refined some of our reporting processes related to outcomes assessment. Uh, for years, the Learning Outcomes Assessment Committee has been saying that if it's not in track debt, it doesn't exist. However, when we began reporting SLO data to the ACCJC, we relied on word-of-mouth reporting, not solely track data as a source of information. So we adjusted the approach this year to ensure that we had concrete evidence in track data for the figures that we reported. And so that's part of the reason for the shift in the 2015 uh, data. Um, so I want to give you a status report regarding these two areas. So first for the institution set standards, um, my office has compiled data that has been provided to the appropriate uh, administrators within the career technical health occupations and some other related programs that, that have uh, um, job placement data or licensure exam pass rates associated with them. And that data was intended to inform the dialogue uh, as they um, start to establish their own program-related standards. Um, so faculty are in the process of that, and um, they've already been um, submitting the results to me, and they are due to my office by next week, and then they will be reviewed by the Vice President of Instruction. The information for the institution set standards will be incorporated into both the supplemental materials for the external evaluation team and uh, our response letter to the ACCJC. So again, the information will be incorporated into the supplement, even though the team didn't receive a copy of our letter, um, because this was identified as an in-progress activity in the self-evaluation report. So for the status of SLO assessment, uh, we are in the process of developing a master data file 
which can be uh, annotated and use, can be used to track changes and provide some more detailed reporting. Um, uh, as you hopefully are aware, both of the fall 2015 flex days were designated to outcomes assessment activities, and there was, I know, across the campus, um, lots of efforts uh, related to data entry, reporting, and dialogue. And so we're hoping that since March, when we last reported the numbers, if we look and track that over the next few months, we will get some of that upward <laughs> shifting and momentum uh, that we uh, anticipate. Um, so those efforts are continuing. The, the data entry and some of the dialogue that um, began um, in earnest on Flex Day is continuing. And we have been uh, coordinating some reminders and some deadlines, so the ideas that we'll report what was in March, what we have um, you know, around Flex Day, what we have right before the team comes, and then an update as close as we can get to when I have to respond to the letter. Um, so that update will include more complete information and will be included in the letter to the ACCJC. And I want to just uh, explain that the more complete information includes both updated data, but also more detail on the courses underlying the data. And I mentioned that before, that the annual report, there isn't a space to um, explain why your numbers have shifted. Um, and, but we can do that in the letter, and we can do that in reports that we write locally. So as an example of that, and what I mean by some of the annotation and the data set, is that we have a number of new courses that have come online and are in our active course space. However, they haven't been offered yet. So those are, uh, those are a zero in the numerator, and then they get added to the denominator. Um, so they haven't had the opportunity to assess, so they don't help uh, our numbers go up. But the annotation will help facilitate that so that then we can actually, you know, report the entire, the uh, total number of our courses and then which ones haven't been assessed and why. You know, that maybe they were offered, but then there weren't enough enrollments, so they were cut. Therefore, they haven't been assessed and, and provide that level of information. Um, let's see. So NBC's response, the next step is that we're required to respond to the letter by October 15th. The letter has been shared, as um, indicated in the first paragraph of the letter, or encouraged. Um, it has been shared with Cabinet, um, as I mentioned, administrators in um, the areas related to licensure, pass rates, and job placement, um, so that they can coordinate with faculty on that. It's been shared with the Planning Committee, the Learning Outcomes Assessment Committee, the Academic Senate, and now the Board of Trustees through email, I think, a couple weeks ago. Um, so then... Uh, Based on our response as well as the submission of our March 2016 annual report, the commission will determine whether we need to submit a special report addressing any of these areas. That's all I have. I'm happy to answer any questions. Any questions? Nice job. Thanks the letter, uh, you mentioned that other uh, colleges received the letter to us as part of the change in standards or just part of a... Um, I, Somebody's again, I, I had never heard or, um, or seen any evidence that they did anything other than putting it in our files. Um, and I think, I, I mean, it was almost immediate. I mean, Chris and I saw it on the RP listserv that there is you know, just, well, how did you set your standards? What, you know, did you do this? And, and, and I will say that in, it, the first time that this became um, an explicit requirement was with the 2013 report. And that was when we did establish institution set standards for five, on five measures because the, at that point the annual report, it was a table and that had rows for successful course completion rate or number of transfers or number of degree recipients. And so we set the standards for those five required. And these ones kind of um, have been integrated in in a somewhat less explicit way 
um, in the subsequent years or intermittent years. And so um, now it's very, it's clear to everybody that we needed to do that, and that was the expectation. Um, so anyway, yeah, and, and I, I think uh, um, when when uh, when Dr. Llewellyn was here and we were meeting um, to coordinate some of the visit, um, we had indicated some of the items that we had um, met, uh, identified as in progress in the self evaluation report, and said we would be providing a supplement. And so I had alluded to the institution set standards, and they knew exactly what I was talking about, and I'm pretty sure that Hartnell received a letter that at least had <laughs> that same issue identified. So, and Terry has um, shared that he's seen the same flurry of activity among CIOs. Yeah, Thanks, not, not to prolong the conversation, but Hartnell did receive a letter. Um, that was on the CIO listserv, so, so he has seen. It may not say exactly what ours says, um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, though, uh, going back to what's happening with SLOs, um, so uh, R- Robin and John and Chris um, are all in the process of helping develop m- more kind of a higher level tracking documents so that we have a better idea of what's in TrackDat um, and that we can use that to help guide uh, programs to make progress on moving things forward. Um, we, you obviously, well, we had started working on that before we received the letter. I mean, as you know, in the quality focus essay, we had already identified that we had work to do on assessment. And so that was some things that are going on. Um, it, we probably hadn't gotten as far on that tracking document as we would have liked by now, but that's because we've been occupied with other things like self-studies and collecting evidence and things of that nature. But my point is to let you know that we were aware of this issue. We're developing reports that will help guide the various departments to start making uh, progress on uh, SLO assessment in various areas. And, and so um, that we, we will have better news for you in the not-too-distant future. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Robin. <laughs>